show is brought to you by Noble Knight Games, where out of print is available again. And listeners like you, thanks for using Tome's Amazon and D&D Classics affiliate links. Hi, this is Sean Merwin, freelancer for Wizards of the Coast, and you're listening to The Tome. Welcome to The Tome, a D&D news, reviews, and interview show, and I'm your Tome host, Jeff Greiner. And I'm your co-host... Well, a guest co-host, and I am actually the Tome Show editor. You all know me as Sam Dillon. And in this episode, we are going to get very organized as we cross the streams between organized play and home games and see what we can learn from one to make the other one more fun. And our expert guest in this episode is Sean Merwin. Welcome to the show, sir. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. I met you, I think, several years ago at Gen Con, and I've wanted to get you on the show ever since. Yeah, I uh, saw you and Tracy walking down the hall, and I grabbed you and probably scared you. Absolutely. So I, I think it, it bears the reason that we start by asking Sean, who the, who the heck are you? I am the heck. Uh, I am a freelance uh, designer for Wizards of the Coast. Uh, I've been doing work for them since uh, about 2000 uh, with, the, uh, with my work with the Living uh, Greyhawk campaign. And that was my door into the world of Wizards. And since then, I have gone on to do some of their print products and uh, other exciting uh, things. Because I'm a writer, so I can say things and mean it. That's right. <laughs> you got away with words that way. I do. <laughs> so that's, that's, uh, that's who I am in a nutshell. Uh, or in a nutcase, as one of my friends always says. <laughs> so you've been with them, you've been doing stuff, writing stuff, since about 2000. How did you first get into d and I got into D&D back during uh, the AD&D days in the late 70s, when I was about 10 years old, and went to a friend's house, and his older brother and his older brother's friends were playing um, their first game of AD&D, because they'd been playing the basic set. And they were playing White Plume Mountain. And at that nice. time, being 10 years old, I had no idea what I was doing. They stuck a character in front of me and kept telling me, roll this, and then roll this, and say this, and do this. So it was awesome, because it was this game that I thought, oh, I have to play this, because this is great. But, you know, they were just running my character for me. I just was a warm body there. Um, <laughs> And actually, they, they liked AD&D so much that they thought, well, these these blue box basic sets are crap now. So here, you can just take this. So they gave me their old cast-off basic uh, stuff, which I took home and read voraciously. Uh, and then uh, got into AD&D and have played every edition since then, plus just about every other game that's come out in the last 20 years, so... 
But you know, it's, as soon as I played the first game and you know, realized I could sneak up behind something and stab it with a sword, uh, I was hooked. <laughs> I, I laugh because your story is very similar to mine. I was eight, and my brother's three years older than I am, and he he was playing D and D with his friends, and that's sort of the same thing. They needed an extra an extra meat shield basically and sat me down and said here's your character play this do this roll this say that and i was hooked ever since it was funny because they they were so used to playing in their own special way and we got into one of the rooms of whiteful mountain i don't remember which and we were just getting thrashed and i looked at the rest of the players and said well why don't we run away and (laughs) and you know i thought i thought perhaps that they were going to actually kill me uh, for actually suggesting such a thing. And the DM said something like, running away, you don't run away. If you run away, you get teleported randomly to this horrible place. And and then later we were even in worse trouble. And one of the other players said, oh, we're going to run away because that will teleport us out of here. <laughs> and, and then there was a big fu- – they were fighting. And I was like, hey, my first game and I've already caused a major squabble with punches thrown. Very good. Awesome. That's a great way to be introduced to a new group. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so uh, you have in the past worked on organized play and then some print products. Uh, what are you up to currently in the world of D&D? Currently, I, I am on, thankfully, a small break uh, from doing any uh, writing projects. I am editing a novel uh, for Alana Abbott, who is uh, someone who has been around organized play and uh, done a bunch of other writing and she uh, has a trilogy of novels that she is going to be publishing so I am editing them and I am doing some play testing of D&D stuff uh, but the last projects I worked on are going are not out yet but you will see some of them at Gen Con right on. and are you still occasionally writing over at Critical Hits? Yeah, I, I hadn't for about a year and a half uh, and then I usually what happens is I get so busy writing that I can't blog and then when I take a break I breathe for a while and then I realize I have to start writing again and so blogging is is the next best thing mm-hmm. uh, so I just put out a new column last week uh, about flanking and tactical play in D&D Excellent. yeah so I'm going to be picking that back up again and hopefully every other week or so putting out a new article very good. So I think people can appreciate your, your bona fides at this point. Uh, before we get into the advice, let's take a quick moment to remind everybody about our sponsor, Noble Knight Games. I'll tell you, the guys at Noble Knight provide a great service. They're super reputable, and they're very well-deserving of your business. Uh, we've worked with them for several years now here at the Tome Show uh, and know them to be a great game store and good people. Our pick for this episode is a product that is useful, I believe, in your home game and in your organized play event, the Paizo Basic Flip Mat. Uh, it's a gridded battle mat, suitable for all your mapping needs, uh, and when done, folds up to an 8-inch by 10-inch square. Perfect for carrying around from event to event or getting off the dining room table so people in your house don't keep yelling at you to clean up your mess. Fine, not that I've ever experienced that. Find it now over at Noble Knight for $12 and make sure you tell them that the Tome Show sent you so they know that they should keep sponsoring or supporting the show. Noble Knight is a long-standing game store specializing in finding out-of-print games while also offering the newest great releases. Including D&D? They got it from any edition. That's right, all of them. 
What if I want a board game? Card game minis or dice? Noble Knight has it all and at a discounted price. In fact, Noble Knight has over 30,000 unique items on stock. And you know you can trust this Better Business Bureau accredited store with a satisfaction guarantee. Yeah, but I've bought too many things over the years. How can I justify spending even more? Good thing we're talking about Noble Knight then. They'll buy your old gaming things and offer you cash or trade. So you'll be able to keep up with all the great gaming stuff you want. Check them out at noblenight.com. Wow, I'll go today. And be sure to tell them the Tome Show sent you. Before we get into the advice, let's discuss each of our experience with organized play versus home games. Jeff. Uh, okay, so I have played in a handful of organized play events, um, but although honestly not a lot. Um, a little bit here and there, you know, Gen Con every now and then I'll get in a game when I'm not recording seminars. Um, and I've done some of the some things in the past. I've never run an organized play um, game. I've never DM'd one. Um, I do, but I've done a lot of home games. Although I've done some home games in, or some I guess you'd call them home games in public places. Um, for several years, my campaign, my my regular group played in a game store. You know, sort of in a public place. So there's some relevancy there, I think. Interesting. Well, I unfortunately live lived and still do live in an area, I, although I moved, I still now am in an area that does not have a game store that is local enough for me with my work schedule to make it to any of the sort of ongoing organized play events. And also, I don't really get to make it to cons. So I have zero organized play experience, but about 30 years of home game experience. So this should be a real learning experience for me. Don't you work at a college? Yes. You'd think that'd be a great place to start an organized play thing, right? Um, yes, after I get tenure. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Fair enough. There, there is always that. Yeah, I, it's funny. I know a lot of teachers, uh, even high school teachers, who are, are using organized play to you know, st- to start clubs. And mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's a testament to how far the, the game and the industry has come that you know, teachers would even think about doing such a thing. Oh, yeah. I ran a, I ran a D&D club um, at, my sc- at my middle school um, a couple years ago. With some of my students. Excellent. My organized play experience is a little bit more uh, varied than 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 <laughs> y'all's. Uh, for for first for AD and D and for second edition, I never touched organized play. The only organized play I was ever aware of were the were the games at conventions, uh, mm-hmm. of course. But then the uh, the Living City, mm-hmm. and I read about it. Because that that uh, was played during second edition days, and it always sounded interesting, but I could never talk my friends into going. Um, it never was close enough to where I lived because growing up, I lived. Yeah, you know, it sounds like Sam and I were probably not too far from one another. Uh, <laughs> so there was just nothing. It was either a home game or nothing. And then when third edition started, I got back into D and D through organized play through Living Greyhawk. So essentially almost all of my gaming for third and fourth edition and now for D&D Next has been organized play. So I, I don't have a lot of contrast within editions to see home games versus organized play, but between you know first and second edition where it was only home games and now where it's only organized play, I've seen a lot of contrast there. Uh, for uh, for organized play, I was a triad member for the Keoland region of Living Greyhawk. So I was in charge of creating all of the adventures uh, 
that that we put out, which was usually around eight a year. Hmm. Then for at the same time, uh, Living Kingdoms of Calamar, which was a uh, an organized play campaign that wasn't sponsored by Wizards. It was sponsored by Kenzer and Company. Mm -hmm. um, I worked on probably between writing and editing about 15 or 20 adventures. Uh, then I worked for Zendric Expeditions, which was the alternative through Watsi for Living Greyhawk. Um, so it was kind of different, uh, a different setup, different way to play. And finally, um, when Living Greyhawk ended, 4th edition started, they switched over to Living Forgotten Realms. I was one of the global administrators for that, uh, one of four who oversaw the campaign. So, you know, in terms of living campaigns, uh, that's, that's my pedigree. But uh, organized play also takes into account kind of convention one-shot games, mm -hmm. uh, which I've written for Wizards. Sometimes they're just standalones. Sometimes they might lead into something else. Um, for example, there were there was a couple that you, you played pre-generated characters, but when you were done, that story led into one of the D&D Encounter seasons. Mm -hmm. Ah, okay. And uh, speaking of D&D Encounters, I wrote the last two seasons of D&D Encounters. Uh, co-wrote with uh, Steve Townsend and James Wyatt, and then co-wrote one with James um, more recently. And... Those, you know, all of those things, and you can throw layer assault into there uh, as another type of organized play uh, experience. Although, you know, if if you play in public and anyone can show up and play, I consider that organized play. Sure, because it's not a home game, and you never know who's going to walk through the door. That's that's disorganized organized play. <laughs> right, right. I'd agree. So that's that's where my background is. And did you did you work on any of the layer assaults or, or that kind? Of, I know you did say you did encounters, but I didn't work on any of the layer assaults. I play tested the first couple, but they're really not my cup of tea. So right. Well, that's why I, I was asking because I play tested a bunch of them. Yeah. Um, but I don't I don't know that I ever play tested any of the encounter stuff. So I wasn't sure which of your stuff I may have play tested or not. Any anything that was really great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those, those those guys, guys, yeah. yeah. He he had his hands all over all the good stuff. The good ones. So. Yep. Yeah. Um, now the layer assault—you you say it's not your cup of tea. Why is that? Oh, uh, it's—I prefer—I don't know—more of a laid-back uh, approach to gaming. I would mm -hmm. rather slow down, tell a story. And I—I—I I, uh, I ran the first couple, so it's not that I—I I don't hate them. It's mm -hmm. just it, it wasn't—it wasn't of interest to me. It wasn't of interest to some most of the people that I play with. So I just never, never got into it. It's not your preferred way to play. Yeah, it's it's not. There's nothing wrong with it. Just it's D and D, so it's still better than not D and D. But exactly. <laughs> I was going to say that something that people forget is you can actually play something and appreciate it for what it is, but yet it's not your yeah it's not your favorite thing, and that's okay. It doesn't mean you hate it or you think other people shouldn't enjoy it. Right. I mean, Layer Assault is all about building these uber characters, <laughs> and it's fun to do for me once in a while. But to do it repeatedly, just it kind of loses its its appeal after a while. So, but the people for the people who like, you know, to think tactically with the nitty gritty of the rules and power game to their heart's content, you know, it's great for them. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It's pretty competitive too, right? I mean, you get points for being the best player and that sort of thing, right? Or am I thinking of something else? They, they do have, uh, they do have kind of milestones or, you know, if you, if you deal this much damage, you 
get a prize or a few like achievements. Achievements, yeah, yeah, exactly. Interesting. So, should we get into the advice then? Yeah. Sounds good. First, let's talk about what are some things that we can learn from organized play to bring into our home games and make our home games better. What I noticed most when I started getting into organized play was how much I learned from sitting at a table as a player through DM after DM after DM. Because if you go to a convention and played something like Living Greyhawk or Living Forgotten Realms, um, you're likely, say you play five slots, you're likely to see five different DMs going through five different adventures with five different sets of players. The amount of knowledge that you can learn about how to run a game and how to be a good player in mm-hmm. a game is is tremendous. You know, I, I still remember the first convention I ever went to, which was Origins. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just you know, I just sat there and, and took in you know, how how does how does how does he handle initiative? You know, how does he deal with a player who's not paying attention? How does he deal with you know what, whatever other thing came up? Uh, and I oh, I'm going to use that. Okay, I'm going to avoid doing that. And it just <laughs> you know, I got I became twice as good a DM just sitting through that one convention as I as I had been you know through years of running my own games. Yeah, I, I've always found um, one of the things I've always, I've, I've oftentimes been very curious about is is how do other people play the game? You know, I know what it's like at my table, but there's a lot of people playing the, playing games out there, and I think every table is different and does things differently and plays the game differently and enjoys different parts of the game. And I'm always, you know, one of the reasons I I've, I have in the past um, helped create and and, and and trying to recreate or, re- or revive the the gamer to gamer podcast that we had mm-hmm. on the feed is because because I'm I'm desperately curious about how other people play games you know and I just want to know but going to organized play is a as you point out is a great way to do that you know you can sit there and actually watch you, you know over the course of one weekend uh, if, at, at a con or every week uh, if at, you know like an encounter season or whatever you can get experience with a whole bunch of different DMs and, and pick up all the good parts, but also see the bad parts, not that you don't want to emulate, you know? And, right. the, and the same thing with players. You can see the players who are really having a good time and what they're doing and emulate that too. Yeah, it, it was you know, it was really eye-opening. And you know, some people think organized play, oh, you're running the same adventure. It's all the same thing. It's really not. It's as varied as, as your home games are going to be. Right on. And now I'm curious... Is there, is there a level of organization that organized play requires that could be helpful to, to home game players? It, it just seems like in an organized play system, you know, is a situation you're, you're coming in from from home or from you know out of the out of the, the location where you're playing, and you have to be able to set up quickly, get people into the game quickly, um, and then pack up quickly and get out of the way, and all that kind of stuff. That it requires a certain level of organization that I I, I imagine could be useful. Yeah, there, I mean, it, you're t- I think you're talking about two different things here. Okay. You're t- one is pacing, and when you when you run an organized play game, it's generally in a situation where people expect the adventure to be done in the amount of time where it's said. Either you're at a convention or a game day, or you know people just have busy lives and they know that these adventures are supposed to be done in four hours or five hours or two hours or whatever, uh, whatever kind of. Uh, system you're playing in and they expect it to be done so you have to learn quickly you know how how much time is this encounter going to take be it a combat or role playing and 
without looking at your watch, you, you have to be able to say, okay, I, I know now that I've still got to run one big battle and one role-playing encounter, and I have an hour to do it, so this is how I need to do it. And, you know, you can learn a lot. You can learn really to eyeball the amount of time that it, it takes to get through certain things, especially when you throw in the dynamic of different players, some players being very quick, some players being very slow. Yeah. And that's and that's a good lesson to learn. I think um, pacing and different editions, it's it's bigger or smaller or a problem. But pacing is an area where uh, the home games can also struggle. You know, there are, there are times in my fourth edition campaign where we'd play for six or seven hours and get through two encounters. You know, and it's like it, there's areas where I could probably learn how to pace things better. You know, blast through some things a little faster and get and get more story in each session. Yeah, I mean, I found that my pacing got much better after I started editing adventures and writing adventures and DMing. You know, for for strangers, um, for my when I did run when I do run home games, um, I've almost got it down now, so I can write exactly what I need to write to run in the amount of time I have and get through it. In knowing the players that I'm playing with in a home game, then helps me even narrow it down even further. Uh, in, in terms of organization, though, the, the other thing I think you're talking about, uh, not necessarily pacing at the table, but just organizing your whole campaign. Um, I learned a lot from, from the living campaigns that I've worked on. Um, things like um, certificates, where if you get a magic item, you get it on a piece of paper. If it's consumable and you use it, you tear up that piece of paper. Nice. Uh, if, it's a, if it's a magic item... You may uh, say it's an artifact. You can actually, you know, put on it different levels of what that artifact does, as uh, as your character uh, levels. Uh, so it, it was a it was a totally new concept to me because I was used to just you know pencil and paper, not even character sheets, uh, mm. just pencil and paper, jot down notes. And when I saw, you know, if if you go through an organized play adventure and uh, at the end, this was mostly for Living Greyhawk. You know, you found this magical sword, this magical shield, and this potion. You had to divide it up. Uh, so whoever got it at the table got the actual piece of paper. Uh, and since then, I'm sure you know, I'm sure Paizo or, or other third-party companies have come out with way you know decks mm-hmm. of cards with <coughs> magic swords right. and potions and stuff on them. Um, but it's it's a really neat way of of getting players who like that sort of thing really invested in, in their inventory. Yeah, as you say that, I'm, I'm imagining probably dozens of different times in my gaming career that it's been, okay, here's the treasure hoard. Who wants what? Okay, this does this and this does this and I have to explain it all to them and then they, they divvy it up and then I have to explain it to them again so they can write it all down. It's yeah. like, you know, how much time would I have saved if I just said, here's what you, here's what you get, here's, here's five cards. You, yeah. can, you can read it. Right. Oh exactly, God. exactly. And, you know, there's there's nothing that a player would feel more than you saying, oh, you know that magic sword that you had? And, and you just hit this monster and this, you know, molten lava oozes out of its skin. Can I see that uh, cert for your sword? Rip. <laughs> you know, it's such a visceral experience that, uh, that you, uh, can you tell I'm an evil DM? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, but it, it's just—it's that much. It, it just gives them the the uh, the feeling that they actually own these things. Hold on. And uh, an- another organiza- organizing tool that uh, living campaigns have are are tracking logs or tracking sheets to keep track of uh, experience points, gold, uh, 
any favors or any disfavors they might get, you know, monsters that specifically target them if they see them again. Um, if you have a nice sheet, uh, well, you need a nice sheet like that if you're going to play in an organized play campaign because you need some way to easily see what you've done, how much gold you have, how much experience, and so on. And that's something that I saw a lot of people, once they played organized play, poured over to their home campaigns to keep track of things much more smoothly. I actually I do something similar to that, although having never experienced that in organized play, I heard about it somewhere or whatever and over the years I developed you know a little I call it my session sheet that it basically just says here's what happened mm. and here's what was gained here's what was lost here's the status of you know this faction and that relationship and what have you and it's basically you know one maybe one and a half pages yep. so that it's right there goes right in my campaign notebook I can look at the last two three sessions and you know figure everything out on the fly Yep. Um, Living Greyhawk had something called Adventure Records, which was pretty much that. It was one sheet of paper, and on it was listed all the items that they could have found, uh, as well as notes about what happened during the game. So if they needed to flip back, you know, they four, four or five games later, they sit down and they're playing a part of a series. They can flip back through their Adventure Records and say, okay, yeah, in this adventure we met this person, he said this, we got this favor from him, and now we can continue on. Nice. Yeah. Right on. So one of the other things I imagine, um, there, there's a social dynamic at organized play because anybody could be at any table. Um, and you, yes. You know, you, you, you know, so I imagine there's a certain amount of, uh, of skill at being welcoming, you know, of, of, you know, encouraging people to come in and have a good time and people of different gaming styles and all that kind of stuff. And I imagine there's some lessons we could learn there as well in terms of being welcoming to, the, to new people in our group or forming a new group for a home game and all that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. Lots of uh, home games formed starting with, a, with a, an organized play. You know, I would go to Gen Con, uh, be DMing for Table of Strangers, and usually I start off by saying, "Hi, I'm Sean. I live, you know, near Buffalo, New York," and I have everyone just introduce themselves, just you know, just to break the ice. And I met someone from Buffalo who I had never met and would have never met otherwise. And then we started going up. I started going up to Buffalo uh, to you know to game with them because I met them. So there's you know it's a great experience, uh, just uh, networking. But you're right in, in that you have to learn to manage different types of players um, when you run an organized play. And you, you might have a preconceived notion of, you know, you hear stories about convention gamers or stories about X type of gamer. When you actually sit down and play with them and you think, oh my gosh, this is, you know, this type of gamer. This is the person who hogs all the attention. You know, this is the person who you can't get to talk. Once you experience them, you realize that maybe that stereotype wasn't as bad as you had heard it was, and you can you learn how to deal with them, how to, to teach the, the person who wants all the attention to let someone else have the spotlight for a while or teach the person who never speaks to, to you know, utter a sentence or two to keep the game moving forward. So, yeah, it is it is. It's 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 kind of like an internship, you know. You can read about something in a book all you want, but unless you experience it and, and get the get the feel for how the game flows with these various types of people, you know, you never quite get there by just reading it in the DMG. Hold on. 
So that I have a sort of corollary question to that then. Um, yeah. Something that is not often used in home games are pre-generated characters. So uh, you want to talk about how organized play, you know, in, in this case specifically conventions, because I think in the living campaigns, people maintain the same character, so it's not a pre-gen, but in can- in con games, they do not necessarily, correct? Right. Uh, many times, in most living campaigns, they might have pre-gens available for somebody who just shows up and wants to play, but uh, for the one-shots, they used to call them classics. Um, mm-hmm. And, well, I mean, going all the way back to Tomb of Horrors and Against the Giants and mm-hmm. the Slave Pit series, you know, all those are essentially classics. They had right. pre-gens with them. Um, but as, as the game evolved, they started making these classic events, uh, one-shot convention games, where they would not just give you a pre-gen, but they would give you a very detailed background about who this character is, what this character's goal is. And you could... You could set up a story really well um, and have it play out over the, the course of the game as opposed to someone showing up with random character. You know, I want to play a mind flayer, blah, blah, blah. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, that works well. Um, you know, you could – so uh, it's, it's – I love to talk about this because I got to do it um, recently with some of the uh, convention one-shots that I've written for Wizards. I got to write one called Calorel's Revenge. Mm. And it, it happens after the Keep on the Shadowfell adventure, where the Calorel, who's the big bad guy in that adventure, um, gets killed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the story continues on without him. Well, I thought, well, what happened if, you know, all these people were following him, they were worshiping him? Um, what happened if his ghost escapes? And so I got to create these kind of shady characters who were going uh, and having to do shady things. Uh, up in this blizzardy uh, north of the Nentir Vale, and they uh, they ran into you know all sorts of problems trying to finish whatever goals they were trying to finish, and some of them had competing goals. So you know it just it was an interesting story to tell. It let the character let the players be able to have something to hold on to as they. Uh, as they played through this game. Cool. Nice. So I, I guess I have one or two other things that I think can be learned from organized play to bring into home games. Uh, and one of, one of which I've seen at my table because one of my players does a lot of organized play. Uh, and that is how to build a maximized PC. He learned a lot of that in organized play uh, and certainly applied it to, um, to our home game. Um, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of the, there's a lot of, a lot of the strategy, I guess, of the game that becomes um, with practice. You know, and, and the organized play gives you lots of opportunities. Practice becomes uh, a lot stronger. Yeah, that you know that has a lot to do with just seeing a variety of different players. Yep. Um, you know, you'll see some of the drama school role players, and then you'll see some of the don't talk to me unless it's my turn and initiative. And let me tell you about my build players. Yeah, um, I wouldn't necessarily call the power gaming thing a positive of organized play, uh, but you know it's it's definitely there. You know, if you're a tactical gamer and you like to see the latest tricks and and so on, uh, you can definitely find that at organized play. Well, and and I'm, cer- of- I'm certainly not going to call it a negative either because I think that's a style of play that's very legitimate. 
Oh um, yeah, I too. understand. I, I have opinions about what power gaming has done to the the whole industry. Sure. So so that's that's what I'm trying to suppress talking about now. Um, but <laughs> but you know, it, it definitely is a way to play D and D, and I'm not I'm not going to judge the people that that do it. But you can also just go to the optimization boards, and you know, a, a trained monkey who can sure. read, read can learn how to optimize a character. But at the same um, time, I mean, the advantage is there, and you and you brought this up, is that you get to see a lot of different stuff and see it in action, you know? Uh, and just, there's advantages to that. Just having that variety of experience means, hey, I got to see or I got to play a dozen different characters in the last couple of months, so I know what I what I really had fun with and what I didn't or what was really powerful and what wasn't, you yeah. know? And I think there's advantages there. That de- de- There definitely is. And one of the other things about organized play campaigns, and again, this can be either seen as a positive and negative or it just it is what it is. But generally, since they support the main company's products, you're going to be able to use everything that the company has put out. So in Wizards' case, you know, anything from Dragon, anything, you know, any splat book that they've released, yeah. that's fair game. So, you know, and, and as an administrator of a campaign, you may not have the ability to say, well, that thing is a little bit broken, so we're not going to use that. Right. You, you know, unless the company says that's okay, you're just saying, hey, if it's in the book, you can use it. And that's when you can see uh, you know, where some of these crazy broken combinations uh, come out. Sure. And, but you know, in, in a sense, that's, that's great because then you're seeing it. Right, absolutely. You know, you're, you're seeing it for the you – know, for the purposes of okay we can't do that again and you're seeing it for the purposes of as a player oh i'm going to take this home mm-hmm. and boy my dm is <laughs> not going to let's do absolutely uh, and the other thing that I, that i think i've seen and learned um as a player in organized play games what what few of them i've been in i find that when i'm in those kind of a, in, in that sort of a setting i play a lot more fearlessly you know i i, I just I throw all the other baggage away and I'm just going to go crazy and have as much fun as I possibly can in the time that I have. And so often, you know, in a, in a normal long-term home home game, you're, you're a little more precious about your character and making sure that you make smart moves and all that kind of stuff, which isn't always the most fun. Mm-hmm. And, and I think there's a, a play style that can be learned from organized play where it's like, you know what? If I go crazy and I die in the first hour, that's fine because there's other stuff I can go do, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I think there, there's – if you're not so precious and you don't protect it so much, you can you know, have a blast with those characters. And if they die, they die. That's fine. Make another one and then have a blast with that one. I agree with you 100% when you're talking about one-shot games, you know, convention games like that. For some people, their living campaign character yeah. is, is their home game character and not only is it that it's much more precious than even a home game character would be because it's living in a larger world than just a home game character does. Sure. You know, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for, for especially for something like living Greyhawk where, you know, people were really, they were creating these small villages within their regions that, mm-hmm. you know, that a ton of people were, were, uh, were seeing and were becoming part of. And it was really a, you know, a home game, but on a scale of thousands. Right. And, you know, and to them that, you know, that character was much more important than, than any little tiny home game would be. Yeah. But most of our organized play lately has been, you know, encounters and that kind of stuff. And even encounters is runs through multiple uh, games, but it's still relatively short term. 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, you know, Encounters is, is a great example of that where, you know, you just go, if your character dies, just make up a new one next week. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think there's, a, there's a level of, of reckless abandon that can be really fun that, that I think should, should be encouraged every now and then in a home game. I mean, you don't want to completely have everybody die off every session because then you lose continuity and the story falls apart. But I think there's, there's a level of, of concern that people have for their characters that they could let go and, and probably have more fun in, in their game world. Yeah, well, I think it, it opens up an, uh, a window of creativity, right? Yeah. You might you might have a very risky but very creative idea that you would never do in your home game because you know that it's going to have bad consequences. And maybe you just want to try it out in an organized play event or at a con or something so that you could see sort of how it's dealt with. And then maybe you're more likely to do that at home than in a right. regular campaign. Or you have an idea for your home game. But you're like, well, my DM would never let this happen, or he would. I already know how he's going to say, right? If I do this, let's try it on this DM, mm-hmm. and see, you know, see see what he says, and and yeah, that you know, it's it's a great experimentation tool, for sure. You know, as one more thing, um, as as a writer, or you know, as a as a person who's creating D and D content, having your material run in an organized play setting whether it be a living campaign or a encounters or a one-shot or whatever, teaches you so much as you see different groups running through it, see how different DMs react to it, or just the process of creating it, putting it into a certain format and sending it off to you know one of the administrators of a campaign and see what feedback they give you. It can really teach you how to build um, an adventure or build a... A, a map or build an encounter if you're doing fourth edition um you know you, you learn so much and i you know i've had the i've been able to sit down and just be surrounded by people running something i wrote and it's mind-blowing to to see things that you thought were great suck or, or things that you thought why well, I, I don't know about this npc and then have the dms really run with it and uh you know it's if you if you are creating your own content and you want to see you know want to see it grow get involved in in living campaigns or any of the organized play campaigns and you know watch watch how it grows uh, mm-hmm. from there i wrote a a four-hour one-shot um, little adventure for for fourth edition to, to be run by a friend of mine at the UK Games Expo mm-hmm. a few weeks ago, and um, the it was the first time that I had actually written something for the purposes of someone else taking it and running it. And I, I had done that before, but I had always run it first and played around with it and kind of perfected it, so to speak, although it wasn't perfect. Uh, and this was sort of whole cloth. I'm writing this for you. Here you go. You know, and the feedback I got on that was amazing. Just from the before it was even run, the feedback was like, oh, OK, OK, now I've got, you know, I just got a lot of good feedback. Awesome. And then after it being run, I got more feedback. And, and it really is a change in perspective in terms of, you know, I it, I, I went into it knowing that it was going to be run very different than if I would run something like that in my home campaign. Um, but, you know, as I said, I don't have a lot of experience with organized play. So, mm-hmm. you know, the, the amount of difference was was astounding and at the same time not as different as one as one might think. Yeah, if that makes any sense. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. 
you know, it, it's it's weird to have here. You know, you're standing in line at a convention, and the guy ahead of you is saying, "Oh, I just played this adventure, and it was terrible." I, you know, and then, and then you realize he's talking about what you wrote. <laughs> and and but it's it's not it's not it yeah. If, I've been around enough. I went through a creative writing program, so I've I've heard everything. I've been mm-hmm. kicked in the teeth more times than than a you know an MMA wrestler. So I'm yeah. I'm fine with that. Uh, so, but you know it's it's interesting to to hear the, the take and it's unfiltered and it's it's just you know it's what it is. It's kind of like the internet, but in live <laughs> live. And, and so you're just sitting back and listening and going, oh yeah, and and you you learn so much from from just that. Uh, it's great. Um, any other advice that, that we can take from or lessons we can take from organized play to home so I've got a few things going the other direction but I wanted to make sure we've exhausted uh, what we have first I think I'm set Sam I no I think I'm I'm set too alright so let's talk about what are some things we can learn in our home games that could make our organized play games go better I'm going to defer to you guys on this one because, okay. like I said, I haven't run a decent <laughs> well, length home game. And as I've been doing a lot of, I'm probably going to, to focus more on asking you questions because you're the one with, that has the expertise in the organized play. Okay. Um, my experience in organized play is that sometimes um, story becomes a little bit secondary because it's hard to maintain a, a solid story that, can, that hooks p- characters and, and pulls them in and does all that kind of stuff. Um, in a in an organized play fashion, because you're playing with different people every time, and you know one DM may not know what happened in the, in the previous session and all that kind of stuff, right? Absolutely. So I, th- but I think there are some things, some little tricks and things that you can learn from your home games to bring into your organized play games to infuse maybe a little bit more of that into it. Does that make sense? Yeah, uh, you know, it absolutely does make sense. And I su- I suspect good DMs are already doing that in organized play games. Yes, yes. Um, There's always been a debate in organized play between how much leeway the DM has to do his or her own thing. Um, Some campaigns or programs lean very hard to the just run what's on the page, Mm -hmm. don't add anything unless you have to, whereas some say treat this like any other D&D game that you'd run at home. Make up whatever you need to make up. If you're doing a one-shot, you should feel free to to do that. If you're running a living campaign where you, what you're running might become part of a series or might already be part of a series, you need to tone that back just a bit. It doesn't mean you can't you know, go off the rails, but it, you should know where the end point is and you should know that you have to get to that end point within the four-hour time frame you have. Mm-hmm. But you can definitely, you know, Create your own NPCs to help um, get the, the the PCs, you know, into the story and then out of the story. Mm-hmm. I think there's even little little tips and tricks and things that that I've and I've seen uh, and used a lot lately um, that could play out here as well. You know, things like um, randomized background connections. You know, somehow you know on some index cards. You know, somehow your character. Uh, knows this other person you explain how you know and these little things that that aren't going to mess up the pacing and and the timing so much but might hook those characters more into into the story that's going on you think that's fair oh yeah that's absolutely fair and i i actually encourage that a lot i've written into organized play adventures living campaign adventures things 
where the DM would force the players to, you know, make up something about their past that connects to the present. So, yeah, that's absolutely fine, and that should be encouraged. And it's not, unfortunately, encouraged enough in some of the living campaigns uh, because it it does it does take the players out of their what they're expecting. You know, a lot of times in the living campaigns, as opposed to other types of organized play, you know, the the, the players are expecting a certain thing. They they are playing, but they are also being told a story. Um, and so if you make them tell the story, sometimes it, it makes them a little uncomfortable. But once, once you break them out of that discomfort, uh, they can really think about their characters in terms of where the story is going rather than just have the story told to them. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, that's absolutely great. And I guess the other thing that I, that I would um, tell people to, to remember from their home games that they should take with them to the organized play games, and this applies both to DMs and to players. I think is um, don't be don't be afraid to to do the crazy things in your organized play game in front of strangers that you do at home that makes them awesome. You know, do the silly voices or make the character that's not not min maxed because it it plays into this concept you want or has this story that you're interested in or whatever. Do those things in the organized play setting as well. And if other people don't like it, they'll, they'll be, deal with it and you won't have to see them next time, right? Because that's part of the beauty of organized play. Yeah, <laughs> you can you – can, mm-hmm. yeah. There, there's no difference between a home game and an organized play game in what you can bring to the table. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like I said, even if it's something that people are not expecting – if it's a good thing to be at the table, then it will be accepted and it will be you know, enjoyed. And maybe you'll be even teaching the players, hey, look, we know that this is usually a four-hour fight, skill challenge, fight, fight game, and then that's it. But we can do something different. We can try to talk our way through this encounter. Uh, we can do something different. It's, it's okay to do it. That's why we have DMs. Very good. Well, those are my two thoughts about bringing home home game skills to your organized play. Anything, any Sam? Anything? Well, I was going to say um, to remember. This is probably the most generic, but possibly the most important piece of advice you'll ever hear, and that is the entire point is to have fun. <laughs> so when you go to the table, whether you're at your home game or whether you're at an organized event. Your job is to have fun and not to dominate anyone else's fun or not to ruin anyone else's fun. So um, do the creative things. Play the character that you want to play and don't worry about being silly. Don't worry about upsetting someone. I mean, as long as you're not, you know, absent Mm -hmm. of any, you know, racial or sexist crap, right? I'm talking about in the realm of quote-unquote normal behavior. Right. Do what you need to do to have fun. Don't try not to be shy. Don't let the fact that you're in an event with other people and they might possibly be all strangers. Let that free you rather than constrain you. Yeah, and and count count on the DM to to be able to get everyone into the game. Like I always say this, get get them into the game, then get them out of the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, smoothly, because that's 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 why the DM's there. Now, encounters has really been an eye-opening experience for me. Um, I've started I started running at um, at a new game store with the first season that I wrote, and you know I went in not knowing what I was going to get, and I had been used to when I went to game stores, 
you know, having the average age of the gamer be about 30, you know, some, maybe some college students, maybe some older grognardy kind of guys like me. And then, and you know, and when I went to this new store, it was almost all kids under 16. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Who, yeah. Who, and who had never really played D&D. They'd played Magic and Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh! and so on. Um, but, hey, this this new thing that they're doing at the store, let's try it. And it was, you know, it was so strange to, to come into this uh, situation where instead of these people who are all set in their ways and, and uh, you know, expecting this the same same thing over and over again to have these kids who just didn't had no idea what was coming and you know bringing their own sometimes way out but unique <laughs> uh you know unique uh, ideas to to how the game should run and you know it was it was it was difficult for me sometimes because you know, I was used to people who are a little bit more focused and and you know just want to get the story and and get through you know and then you know I set these guys in a tavern at the beginning of the first session of the encounters and you know they're chasing cats around the bar and you know wanting to attack everyone in sight <laughs> and, and uh, you know I geez I haven't haven't played this for 30 years played this way uh, you know so you know it was it was good for me to to have to break out of that mold and say okay I need to be able to entertain them let them do their silly things but also see if we can't get from point A to point B before the end of the night. <laughs> uh, but, you know, and most of them came back for the next season and now the next season after that. So Awesome. You've, I, you've, you've now ushered in a whole new generation of gamers. I certainly hope so. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give I you just, all the I credit just, for the, 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 <laughs> game, yeah. the game hobby continuing. It's all because of you. I just hope they don't use my name. <laughs> well, it, it was funny because, it, you know, since my name was on the adventure, oh. the, the, the one or two older guys that were there, you know, were like, oh, we're glad you're running it, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, they'd sat down and the kids started goofing off and doing all these silly things. And the guys were like, uh, he wrote this. And the kids are like, yeah, big deal. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, that's exactly the attitude that people should have. Sure. Absolutely. Just, I, I'm just another DM and, you know, have a good time. And it doesn't matter what I want. It matters what you want as the player. Yeah. Awesome. I have, I have one other bit of advice as well. All right, Sam. Um, and take, that is, take us to the end strong. Uh, so here's, here's my last piece of advice. You know, when you sit down at your home game, you don't just sit down and focus on the DM and only interact with the DM. You interact with the other players sitting next to you. So make sure that when you go to an organized play event, even if it's people you don't know, try to do some of that interaction between PCs, not just you know relying on the DM. Like I agree you should rely on the DM to bring you into the story and pull you out of the story when it's done, but when you're in the story, it's a group event. It's not you and the DM. It's the DM and all the other players as well. So use that. Use it to bounce off of each other, to have fun, just like you do in your home game. The, the, I can't imagine that organized play is all that different, that you wouldn't do that. But if you're new and this is the only way that you have to get to get into a game, then don't forget that. Mm-hmm. Yep. I, there were many a time when I asked somebody, how did your living campaign game go? And they would say, you know, we had five good players. It was a lot of fun. They didn't mention the adventure. They didn't mention the DM, but they just said, yeah, you know, and so yes, play with. exactly. Yeah, 
So you're absolutely right. I have found, if nothing else, over the years of doing this podcast and meeting more and more people, that gamers, as a general rule, are pretty awesome people. And I know that may not be a popular thing to say on this podcast with our audience, but I'm going to stand by it. <laughs> I can't argue. I choose to you know, be with these people many a weekend, so... And speaking of awesome people, I want to thank you, Sean Warren, for being on this episode of The Tome Show. It was – the pleasure was all mine, I can tell you. Is there a specific place that people should go to, to look for you or find more of your things? Sure. You can go to Critical Hits and uh, read my Know Your Role, R-O-L-L, column. Or you can follow me on Twitter at Sean Merwin. Very good. I'm going to type that in before I forget. Sean Merwin. Okay. Uh, and we also want to thank listeners like you who shop at Noble Knight uh, and those of you who also use our affiliate links to Amazon or D&D Classics. And I especially want to thank great listeners like David J., who recently made a direct donation to the show via the, uh, the PayPal window on the website. I was shocked and pleased that David liked the show so much that he donated money directly to us to help support us. Thank you, David. Out of the blue, unsolicited. He, That's awesome. He, it was, it's fantastic. And as much as the money is nice, and it is, because it does help us pay bills and what have you, uh, it's also really nice to know that somebody enjoys, the, uh, enjoys and appreciates the show so much that they decided to, to contribute in that way. And so I really appreciate that. Funyuns for everyone. That's right. So if anybody out there wants to click through any of our links to support us or find uh, the donation section like David did, uh, head over to thetomeshow.com where you can also find show notes and other great Tome Show podcasts. And if you'd like to contact us about any of those great podcasts, you can email thetomeshow at gmail.com or you can call us on our fantabulistic phone number, 919-BIZ-TOME. That's 919-B-I-Z-T-O-M-E. And that is episode 218, the most organized episode ever of The Tome, The Tome, The Tome, The Tome, The Tome, The Tome, The Tome. I'm on the wall.